Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. Iglesia Esperanza. We are, uh, we are a church. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, we're a church that has two languages. Not that I can speak the second language very well, uh, but that's why we're not just one pastor here. We've got uh, two pastors. I'm a co-pastor with Ruben Barbosa here, my brother. Uh, he'll be teaching in the second service in Spanish. Um, if you ever uh, want to just enjoy the, the truth that we truly can be one family in the hope of Jesus Christ, uh, even if you don't speak Spanish well, I encourage you sometime just to join in at least the worship. Uh, it's the same uh, group of uh, people worshiping together, leading worship, but in Spanish. Uh, there's usually a couple of the songs that are the same songs, but in Spanish. Um, and you can get a sense of just the truth that there is one Lord and Savior that we're worshiping no matter what language we're worshiping in. And that's a work that God is doing in this family that's been incredible um, as part of Hope Church. We celebrate having one hope in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, I want to put a verse up on the screen. If you, if you can put up Second Peter, or First Peter, sorry, 2.9. Um, this, is a, this is a verse that the Apostle Peter gave us that is just a statement of who we are, which is an excellent statement. If you can read this uh, together with me, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That language sounds like similar language describing God's chosen people, Israel. But the point that he's making, and if you look at the scripture around this passage, is that now to everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter your background, where you come from, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and this is true of you as a part of the family of God and the church, the body of Christ. So this morning, um, I wanna look at uh, some incredible truths about what it is to walk in that marvelous light because it's not that just that we get to be a part of and in the marvelous light uh, that God has called us into, but, but we, we are uh, light. God makes us a participant in that light to be a light um, to those around us. And, and as we're walking in that marvelous light, as we're walking in the light of God's grace, there are three incredible truths that I think we can pull out of this next passage in our, in our journey through Philippians um, about what it is uh, to walk in that light and some incredible things that I think we need to hold in our heart, truths from God's word. Um, we are journeying through the book of Philippians. Uh, we've, uh, we took a break last week for our One Hope service. Um, but we're continuing on now where we left off. So if you want to read with me, if, if you have one of the Bibles on the benches, it's in page uh, 1629 that we're reading from. It's in the book of Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12 this morning. All right, read with me. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you again for your word. In it is truth and it is life. Uh, we do live just as they lived in, in back in um, the Philippians' time. God, in, in a, a twisted and crooked generation, it's, it, the truth is twisted. God, there's no solid grounding for, for what is right and true, but then when we open your word, God, we have truth. We have a firm foundation to put our lives on. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal your truth so that we can lean and set our lives upon your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in verse 12, he starts, therefore, my beloved. Whenever there's a therefore, we like to say you need to know what it's there for. It means that what he's saying is, is building on what came before. So what we covered the last time we were in Philippians is the context uh, that he's building on. And it's a context of, of Paul addressing an issue of disunity within the Philippian church that we see actually is, is there throughout um, this letter is just Paul's heart and care for his beloved Philippians and gently uh, speaking into them truth and, and addressing this issue that has, that has arisen in the church of disunity. And so in the beginning of chapter two, we saw a call to unity, a call to be of one mind, of one love and full accord. And to that end, then we saw a call to humility uh, and, and a call to, to self-sacrifice. And, and then we saw them turn their attention to the cross and to Christ and, and the, the ultimate example of humility and self-sacrifice and obedience to God uh, as, as Christ humbled himself and even being God uh, did not uh, see that as, as something to be held onto, but, but humbled himself uh, to go to the cross on our behalf in obedience to the Father. And so it's in, in that context now that he says, therefore, my beloved, I want you to obey. You see Christ and his obedience and his, his just immense humility and sacrifice and obedience and now now, I want you to obey, just as you have already obeyed, but even more. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean, telling them to work out their salvation? Uh, we have to understand uh, what... What, what the fullness of salvation is uh, that we see in the Bible and, and, and then be able to figure out what he's talking about specifically here in working out your salvation. See, our, our life is a journey. We start out, the Bible says, dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And, and we're on our, in, in the journey of our life, uh, there, there's vast differences in this faith journey that people go on. There's, there's people like Paul, who he was just zealous for the law and, and as a Pharisee and, and thought that he was on the right path, but he was against the church. He was persecuting the church. Um, or, or it could be like Lydia, who when Paul first went to, uh, went to Philippi, uh, there was uh, this, this group of ladies that would meet for prayer at the river, and, and she was a part of that, so she was a religious person. Um, but she didn't know Christ. And when Paul came, that's the first place he went in Philippi was to the river there. And, and it says when, when she heard what Paul was saying, God opened her heart to the words that she was saying and she saw the gospel. She saw, she saw the truth of it. And, and it's in that moment, whether it's Paul on the road to Damascus where God just struck him down with light and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Or if it's Lydia who there, as a religious person, is opening her heart um, to the Lord for the first time, seeing God, God showing her the glory of the gospel. Whatever it is, there's that moment in our life where we see for the first time the glory of the truth of what we have through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a moment of salvation. It's what we call justification. Because in that moment, the Holy Spirit enters our lives, places his seal on our life to guarantee the, the final outworking of what is gonna be a process of salvation now into eternity. But, but in this moment, there is a fullness of justification that happens, that the, the crucifixion of Christ, the payment that Christ put on the cross for my sin, now fully has paid for my sin. And my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ is fully forgiven. Everything I did back there and everything I will do has now been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only God doing a God-sized sacrifice of himself can be that kind of a substitution for the world. So that's what happens in that moment. But see, I still have the desires that I had back then. There's a new desire. There's a, there's a new desire that's a desire that's, that's turning away from all that to say what I want more than any of that is what I have in Christ. But I still deal with the flesh, and desires of the heart. And so then there's this process that is still considered salvation. We had justification in this moment, fully right before God. But now what's right before God and right in the depths of my heart needs to become right in my actions. And so what we call this now is a, a process of sanctification. That's another, another uh, type of salvation that God is working in our life. It's, it's sanctification and drawing us in our behaviors and everything that we do to be more like Christ and to be more on the outside in what we do to be what God has already accomplished before God in us through the righteousness of Christ. And then there's, there's another salvation. It's called glorification. And boy, I look forward to the day of glorification when, when all this sin and all this, this mess that we keep just churning through and trying to get through and, and we, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us and, and, and turning us into this glorious image of Christ. But then we know that there will be a day when all of that is past and we will be like Christ and we will be in glory. And that begins then a path of eternity from that point on in the glory and presence of God, and that's what we have our hope in. That's what we have to look forward to. 
So what is he talking about here? Salvation. He's not talking about that moment of justification because we, we already seen this is, this is his beloved, those who have been obeying, those who have been walking uh, in relationship to Christ while he was there with them. And he's gonna talk uh, in a little bit about the sacrifice of their faith. They have faith in Christ. So this has already happened in their lives. And it's obviously not talking about glorification because they're still on this earth. So this is talking about salvation in this space of sanctification, of growing up to, to have actions that match what God has accomplished in righteousness in our heart, that that righteousness would be true in our actions. Um, but it's not just that it's in that space. What he's talking about here he says, work out your own salvation is towards them as a group, not as individuals. It's, it's actually in those two Greek words that are translated. There's a verb translated work out, and there's a, a pronoun translated your own. Both of those in the Greek are in the plural. But even if I didn't know that, this context is all to them as a body, to them as a community. It, it's in the context of a call to unity and the behaviors that are, in, that are in focus here are those behaviors of humility towards each other, of putting each other first. And so when he's saying, work out your own salvation, that working out is in the relationships among them as a body. He's focused on them as a people saying, here, I want you to Work out your own salvation as a community with fear and trembling. Oh, now there's another word we gotta go explain. Fear and trembling. What, what, what is he talking about uh, to work out your salvation now? Working out what it is to be God's people, the body of Christ in relationship and humility towards each other. Working that out now with fear and trembling. Well, that the... The term fear and trembling shows up actually in multiple places in the Bible to the extent that, that I think it actually was a term that, that was somewhat common there, that you know, how we have terms that the individual pieces, uh, you know, it's taken on a meaning um, as a term together, maybe slightly different than the individual pieces. This doesn't mean that they're paralyzed in fear and, and trembling and shaking, uh, but there's a meaning to it that we can get when we look at other places in Scripture. For instance, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul first came to, to see uh, the Corinthians, uh, he said that he came uh, with an intent that, that he wouldn't be making much of himself, but it would be only preaching the gospel. And he said, I came to you with fear and trembling. The context there carries an idea of meekness. Fear and trembling, there's a meekness. There's another place in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about Titus and how, how Titus has grown in, in his, let me get this right. Uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 7.15 if you want to look it up later. But, but how Titus has grown in his affection uh, for the Corinthians as he, as he remembers their obedience and how they received him with fear and trembling. What's going on there? Well, there's a, there's a seriousness. There's a reverence. There's a, we, we are going to listen to what, what Titus says, and we want to listen, and we want to uh, respond in obedience to what he's telling us we need to do. This fear and trembling uh, 
And, and we saw that also in, in Ephesians, uh, when we finished up the book of Ephesians, when Paul was talking to bondservants, and he said, uh, bondservants, obey your masters with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart as, as to Christ. There's a sincerity uh, to it. There, it's it's a, a seriousness and a reverence um, in this fear and trembling. My, uh, my son uh, back there who's, who's running the video, uh, Joey, he, he is, uh, the thing with being a pastor's kid is you get to be a part of sermon uh, analogies. Um, he, he loves football. He wants, to be, he wants to play football. He's not quite old enough to be on the flag football league that, that he's actually a part of, but he's, a, he's able to be there practicing and he can be a part of scrimmages. Um, and he's excited to be there. We were at the, at the practice last night, and, and the coach is a great coach, and he was telling the kids, giving the kids direction. Um, when they had their first uh, little mini scrimmage, he told them, if there's any bad language on the, on the field, that's a 15-yard penalty. I want you to get used to that now. And um, they, they responded, yes, sir. There, there's a sense of fear and trembling in, in, in the same way that we would uh, now translate that from from what we're seeing in the Bible, is that they would listen to what he said. They wanted to do what he said, and, and there's a seriousness about it that they're going to obey his direction. Now, my son also loves the Green Bay Packers. He got that from his mom. Um, and if you can consider, um, if Aaron Rodgers was to show up to that practice and start calling routes and plays and directing the kids on what they would do, you can imagine their excitement to obey would just go through the roof. They, they would have what is biblically a sense of fear and trembling and excitement and joy because Aaron Rodgers is the one telling them what to do. And they would run those routes like they have never run the routes before. They would be listening like they had never listened before. That is fear and trembling that he's talking about here. The Philippians would have had a sense of fear and trembling in the presence of Paul there. Paul, who, who had this vision of someone calling from Macedonia that, that led him to follow God's direction, to go up there to Philippi. That's not where he wanted to go originally, but God called him there. And Paul, who came there and first met Lydia at, at the river and then was preaching the gospel, and then he and Silas then, for the, because of, of them teaching the gospel and transforming lives, then uh, are, are beaten and stripped and thrown in jail, and then through that, just this amazing miracle that God works to, to, uh, to reach the Philippian jailer who fell asleep on his watch, and now it looked like everyone had escaped, but they didn't, and, and just... This is Paul who had led them through that, and now they were um, obeying Paul's direction because they had a sense of fear and trembling with Paul. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying here, you obeyed in my presence, but even more so now, in my absence, I want you, church, Philippian church, to work out your, your salvation, this, this interaction, just as you had obeyed me about this before. I, I want you to work it out now uh, in a greater sense, with fear and trembling. Why? Why? Because the next verse, for it is God who is working in you. That's so much greater than Aaron Rodgers showing up to a practice. It is God who is working in you, church. 
It's not just Paul's direction. What's happening in you, church, is from the direction of God working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is our good. It is God working in us. There's the first truth for us to get. Amazing truth. That it is God working in us. If we can let that set in our hearts, church, the truth of that, that when we are in our relationship between each other, when we are laying down our own desires and wants and in, and in any kind of a, a conflict that we are submitting to one another, that we're responding in obedience to God himself who is working in us and giving us direction for what we should do. Just like an Aaron Rodgers saying, I want you to go right and you to go left. God the Father, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fullness of God is directing us as a people what to do. And so in those moments that we respond in obedience, it's obedience to God, trusting God in faith to Jesus and his purpose and what he's doing. And in the same sense that you would expect those boys to have an excitement and joy that Aaron Rodgers is present calling plays on their team, should that happen? What should be the level of joy in our heart, knowing and realizing that it is God who is directing us? God who is saying, okay, I'm here. I'm gonna take you guys. Come on, this is a team. We're, we're going we're gonna to group up here, and I'm going to make you something that you're not right now. Boy, this is the fall season, and there's a lot of teams just launching. And they can relate to what it is when you've got those rough edges that people haven't really come together yet. That, that's what we are here on this earth, is we're a bunch of rough edges that God is bringing together. And you expect things to not go perfectly. But if we can realize that it is God who's working in us. In this journey that we have, walking in the light of his grace, boy, there's gonna be a joy in that. Even when things are not quite right, that play didn't go well. <laughs> that, that relationship is struggling. Boy, that situation was good. Boy, I said all the wrong things there. Whatever it is, we know that God is playing over and over again his love and his purpose in us as a body. Lord, let that set in our hearts. It's your hand working in us. All right, continuing in verse 14. Paul says, do all things then without grumbling or disputing. This is the working out of salvation. If you're wondering where it shows up, um, and also everything that came before in, in direction of what we should do. That, that's what his, his focus of the working out of salvation is. Without grumbling or disputing. What, what's the grumbling? Well, that, that's discontent. That's, that, that's us saying, well, this, this should be this way. This should be that way. That's what, it's really easy for us to do that. And it's really easy to do that even not realizing what we're doing. Um, that just the language of what we're saying um, has a grumbling aspect to it. It's not a bad thing to say we want 
to walk in the light and do things that are good and do things in a way that pleases God. But we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves in this mode of grumbling, of discontent, of saying, no, this, this shouldn't be this way. This should be a different way. Well, how do we, how do we counter discontent? Well, the call that, that we're given over and over again through Scripture is thankfulness. Thankfulness. If we constantly are, are first and foremost responding to each other and to everything that we do in thankfulness, then that sets our heart right to be able to move forward without it being grumbling and discontent. Without grumbling or disputing. What's disputing? Well, that's, that's argument. That's heated argument. That's us, that's us uh, not just having differences, but just in it with each other over differences. We don't need to be disputing. How do we counter disputing? Over and over again. Love each other. Forgiveness. Oh, that's so important. Considering others greater than ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love and so many different characteristics of love. One of them um, is not insisting on your own way. If, if I'm loving my brother and sister, and I'm not insisting on my own way. What does that do to a dispute? It just fizzles out. You can't have a dispute if I'm not insisting on my own way. That's love. How can I do that when, when there's real important issues, real important things that you're addressing? You do it in faith, trusting that it's God's hand who's at work, and it's his direction that what he wants us to do as a family for the purpose that he's gonna work ultimately in us and, and, and to, to the neighborhood around us, that what he wants us to do right now is to be unified. So then I lay down my arms trusting it's God who's at work. It's God who's doing things. So, so what's so important in my mind, it's okay to give that to God and lay it down because he is working. Continuing on, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's, that's God's purpose here now. What is he working among us? That we, that we be blameless. There, there's, no, there's, there's nothing that can be brought against God's people, God's elect, that we be blameless, that we be innocent, that truly um, there, there's nothing that, that we've done wrong and, and and this is, this is what he accomplished here in justification where the righteousness of Christ was now placed upon my life before God. It's becoming a reality now. Blameless, innocent, children of God. That saying children of God there uh, carries the idea of just as a child uh, would reflect the character and nature of their parent. We are to be reflecting uh, and being exemplif exemplifying the character and nature of God, the holiness of God. That's is talking about purity here and holiness without blemish. And we are set as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Second incredible truth I think we really need to have set in our heart as we're walking in the light. 
is that we produce light together. We produce light together. God's direction, we, we saw it in Ephesians, we're singing in Philippians, and in every place, God's plan is that we're growing up together into the fullness of Christ. His plan for what he's building is, is us as as a people together, as a body together that has multiple parts working together. Now that light, when you go off and you go to your workplace and you go to to wherever you are at, you may be an individual shining light in that place, which actually this this lights in the world, uh, another translation of those Greek words that they just, you can kind of go either way, that word for lights could also be used to refer to heavenly bodies like, like stars and moon. And, 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 and so this, this could also be translated as, as lights in, in, in the universe, as, as these, these dots of light spread out through darkness, illuminating darkness. What does light do? Light penetrates darkness. God, God sends us out as his people to be right where you're at, shining light of God's grace. That that light that we have been called into out of darkness, now we represent and illuminate the space that's around us with his light. But we can't do that. God's plan for how that is accomplished is not for us to just go off and be alone. His plan is for us to come together and to be unified together as a body. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. It's an important part of God's plan for reaching a world of darkness that his body be unified. And so when we think of what it means to be a light, we need to go through God's plan for accomplishing that, which begins with us together to produce light. We need each other in this. Light is born out of unity in a community of believers. All right, in verse 16, it said, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The word of life, that's, that's not speaking actually of the logos, the word, which is Christ. It's, it's the word, it's the gospel about Jesus. It's the truth that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're holding fast to as we stand as lights among a generation. The generation back then is the same as generation here. They don't have the truth. It's, it's twisted and, and crooked generation because the truth is twisted and and, and, and crooked and, and made to be something slightly off and twisted by the, the devil who's a deceiver. And that's, that's what he does over and over again. That's a generation we live in just like they lived in then. We're to shine as lights holding on to the gospel, which is an anchor of truth and light to those who are around us. And it's an anchor uh, for us too as to who we are as the world would attack that. As the, as the enemy would attack that, who we are in Christ, that is the gospel, holding fast to that. And so Paul makes 
really a, a personal request here um, in light of ultimately the, in the day when he would stand before Christ and give an account for how he built upon the foundation of the gospel in their lives and the reality of that. And so he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's just asking. He's saying, this is why I want you, church, to be obedient. And and while it's a personal request of his that that he wants the investment of his life that has been in these Philippians uh, ultimately to be proven before God as as precious jewels, not hay and rubble that's burned up and, and proven to be nothing. You see, the concern in his heart is also that it's real. Church, what I want to, to have happen in this body is not just to look good on the outside and to say, oh, yes, look how great we are and we're all friendly, but when in truth, not really truly be united as a family. In truth, not really actually getting to that level of transparency with each other that we're, that, that's, that's difficult and there is conflict and, and there's the, the real need to lay our lives down for each other to be unified because, because the rough edges start to, be, start to come out. We want that to be real so that it produces real light and has a real effect on darkness. And on that day when we stand before God and we're judged for how we invested in the body, the quality of that work, that God will say, this is good. This was real. That's what we want and nothing less. That's what Paul wanted. Holding fast to the word of life. So then he gets to verse 17. Paul says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What's he talking about here? But even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So you have the sacrificial offering of their faith. That's an offering from them as a body. And it's... Why is it a sacrificial offering of faith? All of the context, what is, what's going on here? It's, it's my, all of us laying down our life for each other, trusting God in the process. It's a sacrificial offering of faith. Every step of the way for me to, to, to lay down my life, lay down my argument, lay down whatever it is that, that I'm holding on to is gonna require faith in God to do that. And it's a sacrifice to God. So, they, so he's saying, your sacrificial offering of faith, even if my life is being. So in the culture um, then, uh, both Jewish and pagan culture, we see some of this uh, show up in the Old Testament and sacrificial system. But it was common at that time that at the end of, of sacrifice, well, pagan, they knew, they knew of this. It was a common thing. That's why he's referring to it here. That they would pour out a glass of wine, either on the sacrifice or at the foot of the altar, whatever it was. It was a completion of that sacrifice to whatever deity, 
Uh, in the Jewish sense, it would be to the true God, but, but it was a practice they knew of, is that there was, there's a name for it, libation or something, I forget what the name is, that, but to pour out a, a glass of wine on top of that, it, would, it completed the sacrifice. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, your sacrifice of faith, if it's God's purpose that my life be that completion to your sacrifice of faith, that my life is poured out to finish that, for it to be this glorious sacrifice, a complete sacrifice to God, pleasing to him, then he finds reason to rejoice in that. And we should find, you should find reason to rejoice in that. I can tell you, church, if it's God's purpose, then my life, the Reuben's life, the, the John's life, the, the Jude's life, be poured out as, as drink offerings on the sacrifice offering that Hope Church is bringing to the Lord to complete it. And praise the Lord. There's, there's rejoicing in that. Why is there rejoicing in that? Because what we have from this beginning, when we, our eyes are open to what we have in Christ, is, is a precious treasure so much greater than anything that we have to sacrifice. And, and when we, our eyes were open to Christ, we saw something far greater than anything this world had to offer, anything that, that we could try to pull out of and enjoy in this life. And so when, when we see that God has now worked a work in our, in our body as a church, that together we have produced a sacrifice to him that is pleasing to him, and there's rejoicing in that. He says, I rejoice in that, and you should rejoice in that also. What does he say? His actual words. Likewise, in verse 18, you, should, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's go back to, to 1 Peter where we read that, that verse at the beginning. But let's go back to the beginning of, of chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we see kind of a similar process of what we've, what we've already come through. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. But what are those things? Those are things that, that disrupt the unity of the body. Those are things that we need to put aside to, to love each other instead. He's, this is a call to unity still. And in the chapter before this, there was a call to brotherly love and unity, same thing. And then it says in verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. If you've ever had an infant that's hungry, you know what he's talking about here. Like newborn infants long for the sp pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's this saving process, salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, church, hope church, each of you individually like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house together, a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see the glory of what it means in that, in that moment when you're, you're in the conflict and, and it's just frustrating and, and you've got something against you or a brother and a sister and, and, and then you, you look up and in, be, in obedience to Jesus Christ, in Christ, you, you trust him and say, God, I'm just gonna let this down. That what we are doing is we are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ in that moment. It's pleasing to him. And it's in the joy that we have in Christ that now the last truth that we need to set in our hearts is that the sacrifice is worth it. Boy, it is worth it. Because our eyes aren't set on just this next step right here, or this step right here, but our eyes are set on the glory that's ahead of us. And and the one who has provided that glory is walking with us. It is God who works among us. He is walking with us, and as our eyes are set on that glory, we are in relationship with him, and we know that every time we trust him with a sacrifice of our own life, that it is pleasing to him. And we enjoy then his pleasure and relationship and his transforming us and changing us to be more in his image and to have a greater joy and greater amount of light and glory in his name. And it has a greater effect than church to those that are around us because God is changing us within this relationship as a body and, and ultimately bringing us to this point where all of the flesh goes away and we get to fully enjoy the glory of God. Praise the Lord for his way and his purpose. The sacrifice is worth it. Can we put that verse up on the screen again? 1 Peter 2, 9. So then ultimately, this is a declaration of who we are, who God is making us to be. Let's read this together, church. Actually, if you could stand and let's read this together, declaring the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. This this song that we're gonna end on, church, it's called Lay It Down. Lay it down. We're laying it down for Christ. We're laying down our lives for each other. And what's the motivation in that? (laughs) In this song, it, it gives the motivation. Pearl of greatest price. In that moment when our eyes were open to the glory of what we have in Christ, we saw the value of God. We saw the value of Jesus Christ is so much greater than anything else. So let's sing together just a conviction to lay our lives down for each other, trusting and knowing that he is the pearl of greatest price and it is worth it. Let's sing. Father, we lay it down. What we lay down, Lord, is every idea that we have of what it is to be a good church, 
what we have about what should be done or shouldn't be done. God, what all of our ideas of, uh, of our own agendas and, and making something of ourselves, God, we lay all of it down because, God, we confess that your purpose is the purpose that is good. The purpose is pleasing to you, God, is the purpose that is good, and that's what we want to come out of this family, out of this body, God, is your purpose. And so, God, we want to walk in obedience to your way and what you have for us to do. So, God, take our lives into your hands. Humble us, God, before you. We recognize that in you is joy. God, you gave us the reason for obedience to you. This is so that your joy would be in us and our joy would be full. And God, we want that to the fullest. We love you, Lord Jesus. We want to serve you, Lord Jesus. We want to lay down our lives for you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.